Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 93 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, let me introduce you to my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are you doing, dad? Hello and uh, thank you for joining us on this week's podcast, number 93. Uh, this week, we go back 20 years and a player that only played one season at Trinity, but a very solid season that was. He played the game, he's actually played the game for 17 seasons and his Trinity season was his 16th in in, in, in his 17 seasons. He's more famous for his uh, Sheffield Eagles exploits, where he earned England and Great Britain honours as well. This week, we welcome Paul Beans at Broadbent. Beans, thanks for joining us, mate. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. We were just... Um... We're all just complaining, weren't we, about the uh, the differences with technology and how frustrating it is in in twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why I'm unfortunately I'm having to do this via my phone because for some reason my laptop doesn't want to play. <laughs> Good stuff. So, Paul, we asked the first question. It's the same question every single week, so I will pose it to you as well. It'll be interesting from your your perspective. Um, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Um, I just think uh, resilience. You know, I think that it's something that the club, the club's been, um, it's had its successes. Um, you know, there's been as successful as any club out there in, in a long time ago. But throughout the current sort of uh, history, I think they've they've constantly been having to fight against um, everything that sort of could go against them. Generally, did and the but by the fact that 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 sort of almost galvanised the club and made them a, a stronger unit, I believe. Definitely, so that's a good ad. I don't know if we've had that one before, Dad. You might have to look in the our past 93 episodes, but that sums up Wakefield quite well, Paul. Is it looking from, obviously we'll touch on your career a bit later on, but when you were playing at Sheffield and these other clubs, did you look at Trinity and think they'll always be tough to play against, especially down at, down at Bellevue? Yeah, it was always a bit of a tough battle. I mean, when I started my career, I started at Sheffield and um, Wakefield were, were a, a quite a, a little bit more, they got a bit more stature than what we had and uh, they were... Um, top four coaching them and uh, and Tiger and that and it was and they're, they're always a tough outfit and they always could play you know they always got um you know they got a few playmakers and they got a little bit of what I call X factor in them so they were always a bit of a tough task. 
Definitely. So let's rewind a bit, Paul. Let's start with your childhood. Obviously, you were brought up around the Wakefield area. Are you a cast lad, if I'm mis- not mistaken? Yeah, so my I, I grew up pretty much in Alton Bywater, which I, none, of, none of the guys that are Alton Bywater lads will want to call themselves cast lads because that's <laughs> not how it works. If you're other side at River, you're classes that you're foreign, but that's how it works, you know. But cast, yeah, I grew up, spent all my time around cast, played at Lock Lane. Um, and so that's where where I guess I cut my teeth, if you want to call it that. But it was, uh, yeah, just a um, just a bit of an ordinary kid wanting to have a go. And did you start playing at a young age? Were you sort of, where did your first sort of experience? Was it watching um, it? Was it playing it? So I'd be, my dad used to go and watch Cass a little bit, so I would go down with him and uh, and he'd go and have a pint after the pub and bar and, and he'd bring me some pop and crisps out and we'd be sat on stairs waiting for him to come back out. But yeah, it was, that was my first experience of the game. But then, um, yeah, it was so th- about 12 years old, really. I just started high school um, and got introduced to rugby just prior to going to high school. One of the primary, the primary school I was at, we played one game or two games and, and I quite enjoyed it and liked it. And then I got involved in school team when I started at high school, but that was rugby union. So it was a bit, and I, and I started playing rugby union. And, and so we played, we played um, rugby union in the morning with the school. And then my dad said, oh, well, there's and one of the lads he used to knock her down with, or I knew from the village down in Holland by where I lived, he said that he, he, they knew. So then he took me down to Lock Lane and I started playing with Lock Lane. So I used to play with, with school team on a Saturday morning and then with Lock Lane on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, so it was, you uh, all, it was, you good. All, it was good. Were you always a prop? As long as I can remember, yeah. I, I once, I once had a go. The ones that we were playing, it was a bit of a, a pre-season sort of warm-up. Anyway, we were shuffling all numbers around all teams and stuff like that. I said, "Oh, I, I won't mind having a go in centre. Let me have a go in centre." They put me in centre after five minutes. I said, "Can I go back in middle?" I said, "It's boring <laughs> stood out here." <laughs> and what's Lock Lane like as a club, mate? Any happy memories from there? Oh yeah, some brilliant stuff. And you know what? There's a lot of some brilliant people down there. That it's it's a bit weird because we started out as a team. We're under 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 twelves, and we started went to under thirteens, and we had some some real successes. It was always um, in in local competitions. It was always us and travellers that were sort of going against each other, which don't, they don't sort of exist anymore now. It's uh, it's Featherstone Lions, but it was travellers that, that and, and it was yeah, it was always nip and tuck. It was always those were the two teams that were always sort of vying against each other. But yeah. Um, some great players and some some good mates and there's some people that I've grown up with and I still now go and see them but the difference is now that we're not under thirteens anymore now they're probably they're like the they're on committee and the chairman and stuff like that so you know we've gone we've gone full circle almost. Good stuff and I've always been fascinated, mate. Where your nickname Beans has come from? Is that from a, you, a young age or? Everybody, think, everybody thinks it's super complicated, but it's not. It's just <laughs> so many nickname so many. My name's Broadbent. They used to call me when I first started training. It was Broadbean, and then that was too hard to say when we were on field. So it was it was actually Howard Cartwright who used to coach us at Lock Lane, and then he was he was an assistant coach at Sheffield yeah. when I started there, and he decided to call me Beans because it was a lot easier to say. So that was it. Then as soon as everybody got hold of it, it just seemed to be just sort of spread through. And when I was playing, um, pretty much throughout my career, it was the only person that called me Paul was my mum. <laughs> <laughs> and do you still get beans now? Yeah, so it's a bit weird now because I it, I didn't get it as much because I came away from um came away from coaching, went into mentoring, and that and then it sort of it became Paul again. And then I've now got to a stage where um I'm back involved in a little bit of coaching. I'm doing I'm helping out a bit down at Eagles. Uh, my lad plays down there. 
And so he 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 were called so that when he first started playing, he were called Mini Beans, and now <laughs> been, so now he's Little Beans, and I'm Big Beans again now. So it's come back to so I'm back to Beans again because I've started getting involved in rugby again. I was just going to ask if your lad gets called Beans Junior, but Mini Beans is is probably a bit funnier actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Obviously, he's not, so many, he's not so many these days. When I remember when he were, when he was little and we used to be wrestling in front of Telly Telly when Ellie falling off stand. But these days, I could always get better than them. But I think these days he'd probably be able to nudge me out. Is he plate middles like you? Yeah, he's a front row. Yeah, he's a prop. Yeah. And, and and he's going all right. I mean, he's he's, he's trying to sort of get himself. He's, he's pretty. He's, he's played quite a few games, um, but um, he's still got obviously none of us at finished product, and I think he's still working hard to try and get the better out of himself. So yeah, but he's got a pretty honest work rate, and he puts himself around, and put, takes a pride in his defence, and I think that that's uh, that's where you start, isn't it? And I know obviously we, we will cover your career, but you're more proud of what you've done in your career, or seeing your lad play rugby as well. Uh, you know what? I don't think it's just about seeing my son playing rugby. I just want to. I, I, I wish when we set out all along, it were one of those where you, when you, and I think everybody's the same. When you have kids, you just want your kids to 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 enjoy some successes, and you want them to be. In, in my mind, it weren't about whether they were going to be a rugby player or they were going to be, um, you know, this outstanding sensation or next England England international. It was about him being a quality person and building his morals on the right sort of uh, what I call attributes and hard work, honesty, and you know, reliable. To a key to them all, and I, I think that, that, that both him and my daughter have got that in an abundance, and, and I'm really proud of them for that. Brilliant stuff, mate! Excellent. With with Lock Lane literally being a stone's throw away from Weldon Road, did, did you ever get a chance down at Cass? Um, not really. No, I mean I did play. Um, I got involved a little bit with there. It was it weren't it was like a youth team at the one stage, and we were, we were sort of getting. But that were um, when they were they were it weren't um, it weren't like the professional and the amateur. It were they just had a team and they used to have players playing for them. So we as Lock Lane, we used to play against them. But there were classes you'd cast. It weren't it weren't not to do it. It weren't attached to the professional club, although it were played down there. Um, and everybody was sort of interested in playing down there because of the fact that you were um, under their microscope, I guess, if you want to call it that. So everybody thought that that was the the stepping stone to try and get yourself a contract. But no, it never really, it never unfolded that way, if I'm honest. But be quite honest, I was a pretty ordinary kid. I don't think anybody really had any really any, any real enthusiasm or energy for me when I was a young player. I was just one of them that worked really hard, kept turning up, giving the best I'd got, and and gradually I got I got better and better. And it just seemed to be the fact that and and it were and again I mentioned him earlier. I mean, Howard Cartwright were were quite um, influential. As in, he he was um, head coach at Lock Lane. Um, I I'd gone through the youth teams at Lock Lane from under under twelves right through to under nineteens. I then started playing um, with the second team on a Saturday and with under nineteens on a Sunday. And he just he would seen um, you know he'd seen a little bit about what I, what I were about. Not necessarily the best player, not necessarily the most skillful player, but he saw that I got you know this real sort of um, dogged sort of work ethic and just you know kept turning up and giving it giving what I'd got and and he 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 spoke to Gary Eddington who was who was Sheffield Eagles at the time. The club had only been going with it started in eighty five, I think it were. 
84 and I signed in 87, but I'd been, I'd done the pre-season training. So I'd probably been there for three or four months, but they invited me to pre-season training because I would said to him, says, you need to come and have a look at this kid. He's not the best player, but he's got a brilliant attitude. And that's where it all started, really. I went in there and, um, and then you've got to start proving yourself again. You know, you start as, a, as an amateur. And me, me aim and my ambition was to try and get a professional contract. So when I got this opportunity, well, geez, I, I've got to make make the best of this. And that's what I did, really. And, and I don't think you can, as you go through your life, I don't think you can, you can't be the most skillful sometimes and you can't be the cleverest person on the planet. But the one thing that you do, you don't need to have academic qualities for is your commitment and enthusiasm and your, your willingness to try and go above and beyond. And I, and I believe that that's fundamentally where success comes from. And you look at, similar to yourself, Paul, but you look at people like Jamie Peacock, Alex Wormsley, James Harrison, similar now this year in Super League, all late bloomers in kind of that middle forwards position. Is Do you think that what it comes down to, this, the honesty and, and work ethic? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the it's a bit, they try to pigeonhole people a little bit at times, you know, that, oh, at, at 17 years old, he's not going to be big enough, he's not going to be strong enough, he's not going to be fast enough, he ain't got a step, he ain't got this, and he, you know, but but then sometimes it just takes time for him to develop, and I think what, we, what we've got, and part of our game, I think, at the moment is that we, we've, we've gone through a period now of, um, and it's not just over in the last few years, I think it's been over a, 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 a longer period than that, is that we we're almost sort of um, we're coaching players to be of a certain way, and I don't think that. And I think if you think of the game that's that's that used to be in the days when, um, you know the the senior players like you know like your topper and people like that used to play, and your Roger Miller, they they were they had they had a little bit of structure in there, but geez, it was it were all about you know play what you see and it's what's in front of you, and I think that we've gone away from that a little bit because we've 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 coached. Um, the sort of I don't know, coach them to 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 play what they're told to play rather than coach to play what they see. And that's just my opinion. I mean, everybody's got an opinion, and I just but I I just I look at the game and I think that sometimes it's it's not as exciting as it could be. Excellent, yeah, good stuff, good answer. Do you remember your Sheffield debut? Yeah, I do. That's it. We're down at Fulham. That's it. Yeah, Fulham, away. Fulham, yeah, Fulham away. That's right. And it was uh, just one of them. It's a bit weird because in them days it weren't super professional, and we, you know, we all you, you all get down there, and there were there were boys, the two the two the two guys that were um that, that were there, and because you only had two subs in them days, yeah. and um, so they there were two other travellers, and the two guys that travelled they were rubbing down, so we didn't have a matter. They used to rub <laughs> down, and it was funny, and it was, and it was just, it was just comical how, how everybody just sort of mucks in, and it was just a bit of a, um, all the boys together, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, it was, a, it was um, an interesting one. I remember because I, I was desperate to impress, and it was my first, my first outing, and uh, and I got, I got a go, and I was on there, and anyway, I got a knock, and I must have been sort of knocked out a little. Bit, but the and Howard Cartwright again, who would be he was the assistant coach, he was on the touchline, Gary was obviously on the radios. And it, I would have seen what we've seen that I took a knock anyway. He come running out, and I just got up and, and set off running across the other end of the field. Ball were going in one direction, I was chasing one of their players the other way. I tackled one of their players who didn't even have the ball, and then and then I was like trying to tell him that don't worry about it, he's had a knock, he's, he's doing a circus play, we're looking like what you're doing, sort of thing. But yeah, that were uh, just a, a bit of. So that's the the sort of outstanding standout memory, I guess, of of what happened on that day. 
Great stuff, lovely. The the date of this, um, for that Fulham away was August 1987, but the record books say you didn't sign until October 87. Is that right or is that a mistake? No, How did you right, sort of... I think that's right. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's always been a bit shrewder, Gary. So he said, we'll give you a bit of a trial. So I played <laughs> seven, ga- seven games, I think it was. I played seven games. I was on bench and that and all coming on and doing a bit. And we'd won a few games and all this. Lot. And then he sat down and he said, OK, I'm going to offer you a contract. And I said, OK. So, and he offered me this contract and I'm like, Oh, that's your signing on for you, and this is what you'll get. And it were it weren't big money in them days, and it were, And I said, okay, right. I says, well, what what about my four wins that I've that I've played in as well? He says, what about them four wins? He went, no, that's part of your signing on for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, one of them things where I had to sort. If I'd have walked away and not signed on, then I'd have ended up losing my four win bonuses as well. <laughs> We've, we've interviewed a few people who've played for Sheffield over the years before Trinity, and everybody's got the same story about Gary. He's always shrewd with his money, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's, you know what? But, but, yeah, he's, but he's, he's, he's really good with people that have been good for him, if you know what yeah. I mean. He's, he's really supportive. And I know that um, there's a few, there's a like, I know Mick Cooks, um, he's, he played at Sheffield a long time, and, and the, he, he's having one or two sort of problems at the moment, but the, the, the there's he, he made sure that he got everything, tried to sort everything out and make sure that he could get to see the specialists and the people that he needed. So, you know, for me, I think he, he's very, very loyal to the people that have been right with him throughout his career, you know, throughout his time in sport, I think, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, still, he's, still, he's still got the same the same PA. He's still got Julie, who was his PA when Sheffield Eagle started. She's still his PA at um, up at Leeds, and she's been there oh, for yeah. Leeds ever since he went there. But that's what I mean about him, you know, being being really. And I know Paul Daly were were up at Leeds for a long, long time, you know, because Paul were down at Sheffield as well. So it's it's one of those where you know when you get people that you that you know and you can trust. I think he, he's very, very loyal to him. But, but yeah. he, he didn't he never spoil anybody with money, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've always heard lots of positive stuff about him. I think he's a, I think yeah, he's a yeah, top yeah. It were, it's, it's, And this is a, this is one that everybody uses in all these people that have been players that have gone now into coaching and they're all talking to players about wages and about money. And Gary's favourite one was that Listen, there's only one cake, and if you have a bigger piece, then somebody else has got to have a smaller piece. <laughs> so it make you feel bad about taking money off your mates, sort of thing. But that's how everybody uses that one. Now, listen, we can't make cake any bigger than it is. You just got to go with what we've got. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm just looking at that Sheffield team when you played in '87. There's some there's some Trinity players in there, past and present. You've got Andy Wilson in the backs, and you've got John Glancy in the forwards, and you got you got Paul McDermott on the bench. Quite an eclectic bunch of yeah, before and afters. Sure. I think Paul played. Paul played before he came to Sheffield, um, and but I think um, John Glancy and Andy Wilson. I think they both played after they'd been at Sheffield because I'm sure Andy Wilson came came to us from Queens. There were quite a few yeah, came from Queens. There were there were Andy Wilson, Derek Bridgman, um, Mick Cook. There yeah. were there were quite a few. Um, you know that that were all uh, and and Dickens, Dicko as well. He was there. He was one of the the guys that all came from the from the Leeds sort of um, and Gary's recruitment were all around this area. That were around the Leeds, Wakefield sort of. Um, Cass area because that's where he came from and he knew that that through and through. It also got Steve Ferris involved over and again another local lad. Howard was a local lad, so it was always going to be that most of the players that he came across and he sort of um, wanted to try and encourage were was was going to be you know Cass and Wakefield and Leeds lads. You remember that first season you played Trinity four times. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, that, that was the one where I'm sure it was that season when. Um, 
when they, they, ended, they ended up having a blow up at referee and referee were well, like Benny Hill, they were all chasing referee across the field and referee <laughs> were like, and they were, oh my God, I've never seen it like it. It was one of them comical ones that you just you think, Jesus, is this really happening? But yeah, we, we played and it, and it was always a, cluff, a really quite a tough game, close game. And I, I don't know if they did the ages out, they might have edged us out three, three times that year, but we every game were, were generally quite close. I mean, I, I can't remember what I did last week, so what the scores were, I won't have a clue. But yeah, I've got, I've got scores written down, but I, I remember Wakefield, there were four matches, Wakefield won three, but then you knocked us out of the Challenge Cup. You came to yeah, Belgium, well, beat us 14 yeah. 10 in the Cup. Yeah, we, we were saving ourselves for that one because we knew we weren't going to win. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the following season must have been a bit of a standout season because you you got promotion and scored at Old Trafford. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, yeah, that was a, a really good year for us. That we, I mean, it was uh, that was eighty nine, um, and we well eighty eight, eighty nine. So we went, we got to Old Trafford. We got to Old Trafford from from. Um, from, from well back, if, if I'm honest, because it usually, you know, it was always harder to go. And it, it, they've changed the format a little bit, which makes it harder to get from from fourth and fifth. But we we promote, got promoted in third, so we were we we had to go into playoffs sort of thing and, and one thing or other. And yeah, we were, so we played Oldham on that day, but we got promoted. And we won, when we won promotion, that was a pretty big thing for us. We won promotion um, down at Allerton on a muddy, sludgy, you know, wet day. I think it was against Charlie. And um, and it was just yeah, it was just a um, just a, a bit. It, it it the club felt like a family, and and it was just a massive, um, a massive sort of step for us because the club had it was built on pretty much just on on nothing really. Because Gary Gary had set the club up to start the club, um, and there was a company. It was some, some sort of television company, I don't know if they're called some, uh, Televista or something like that. They, were, gonna, yeah, yeah. they, they, were, they were supposed to gonna sponsor the club. So Gary had, had set it up and he got it all ready to go when the verse set out. And they were going to sort of be, be bankrolling it or financing it. And I don't think you'd call it bankrolling in them days, but um, they, it were it were always run on a shoestring. But then at the 11th hour, they pulled out. So Gary ended up, I think, from what I, um, from my my sort of um, understanding, is that he ended up he went to borrow some money and he put his house up to, to sort of to 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 borrow the money and he uh, and he went down that road. So you can understand why it was always a bit frugal. Wow. And what what was the city of Sheffield like responding to to rugby league being in the city? Tough. It was tough because. You know, you you as soon as you're born, you're a Wednesday night or, or United night. That's how it is. You just and and so whatever your family's gone down, and sometimes you get some that, are, that even when the families they'll sort of they'll support one or the other. They get you know, but but generally, um, it's a, you know, and so you you football football through and through, and so it it was always a tough one to grow the game in Sheffield. But it, it was a natural progression, if I'm honest, because it felt like you know it was on the edge of what was classed as being, um. Heartland, if you want to call it that, you know, mm. you you're not a million miles away from Wakefield, and my my belief is that sometimes it's the easier way is to is to expand it on the edges rather than just sort of um, satellite it into into an area that's never seen it before, because you can you can you can bring players in and make it a strong team. It's about growing it in community, and that's the key in my eyes. And and, they, and that's where they struggled at first. But the but the Gary were pretty shrewd. They started going into schools. They worked really hard in schools. And what they did is in schools is they started going round and introducing rugby, but introducing it in in sort of primary schools for free. And then every every 
six weeks there'd be six different primary schools coming to a festival and and then you they come and the parents come and it's really weird now because i go now down to the eagles and some of the people that i'm seeing there that are now um the what you call that they're, they're not the the oldest oldest but they're they're sort of getting into that sort of part of the life they're the ones that were the kids that were coming down and playing in them festivals and so it's amazing how once you get that 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 hook into them that it can that stays with them for them. and they're bringing their kids down now but the problem we have is that we've we've lost um, a little bit off, off the back edge of I mean obviously people get older and what we what we did is went through a period where you know funding and being able to go into schools and pay you know people to go in and do that is a challenge it's difficult and I think that that then um it, it it goes against you because when they didn't have any money, they couldn't afford to send people in. But because they couldn't afford to send people in, it's almost like a vicious circle. So your crowds drop off because you're not you're not encouraging new blood. You need to be constantly filling up from the bottom. I believe you know it's the same with with, with young players. You know you can't have a team of under 15s and then they go to under 16s and they go to under 17s, but you don't keep filling up from the bottom. Yeah. When they get to under 19s, they become. They're, they're like your, your stronghold. They're the in amateur teams. They're the ones that should filter through into the first team, and then and then you're constantly filling up. So you never have a, a shortage of players for your first team because all the players are maturing into senior players, and you lose a dropout. But but even if they go away, sometimes they'll come back when once they've they've, they've realised that going out and drinking and chasing women is not always not always what it's painted up to be. <laughs> For you personally, Paul, what was it like for you? But one year you're playing down at Loch Lane and then kind of 18 months later you're playing at Old Trafford in it in a premiership decider. So it was a little bit, it weren't, it weren't even that really because what happened is, so this is how surreal it were. Um, so one year I'm going down and supporting Cass, watching Cass playing in the Cups and watching Kevin Ward when he was in his prime really sort of um, you know ripping teams to pieces and being quite you know ruthless. Um, and then I signed for Sheffield. So I signed for Sheffield. And that year that I signed for Sheffield, we drew Cass in, I think it was John Player Cup or something like that. And we played him, you know, the, the, so that was like a bit of a midweek thing. We played him on one Sunday, at Sunday down at Chesterfield. And it was like, so one year I'm watching and sort of um, in awe of him. And the next year I'm coming off the bench and packing down against him. Wow. You know? So it was one of those. And, and that, so that was the, the real big sort. And again, that same year, I think in the I don't think in the chat it might have not been that year it might have been a, a year after but we drew Wigan and we'd never played Wigan before and we went and and um and we we made a bit of a contest of it they got away from us a little bit but they were just star so that they'd got you know they'd got Anley they'd got Edwards they've got all these big names that were just and to be able to go and sort of pitch yourself against them when I was just a bit of a kid that was just a bit of a shirt filler, I guess, at that stage. And it were it was just a bit a little bit surreal that you're getting those sorts of opportunities. But that's what life's about, isn't it? You know what I believe that if you you know if you keep giving the best you've got, it's it's a little bit crazy what what twists and turns that life brings. For the younger listeners at home, tell tell them about Kevin Ward. He's, he's another Wakefield born lad as well and obviously didn't play for Wakefield, but a total legend of, of a player and a, and a historical figure. Yeah, pretty pretty ruthless. Just a, a just a big, you know, awesome guy that used to carry really strong, and he was pretty, you know, just a, a real handful. Quite, a, quite. A, 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 I think he was quite a nice, placid guy. And they used to say to us, "Is whatever you do, 
don't say up to him when you're packing down because if you get him mad, then that's when you'll know about it. So you just used to let him do his stuff. And if he just went through the game without nobody stirring him up, you you probably could manage with him. But he, yeah, he was just a he 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 was ruthless in how he carried the ball. He, he was just a, just a real big an handful. He went over to I think he played in Balm played at Balmain in Australia and and the, he was just absolutely you know sensation over there. Played in you know played for Great Britain and for me um, he was one of the the, the the guys that I grew up sort of um, in awe of, you know, and then you you know, and then he came. I think he went to St Helens, didn't he? he played at St Helens, and then he had that. He had an awful break of his leg, and then ended up finishing his career because I think he did he get MRSA or something like that. He got some some sort of infection, which meant that he ended up almost losing his leg. But I mean, I think they saved his leg, but um, his career was pretty much done by that stage, you know. But that's you know that you you go through. You it's, it's a bit weird because as you. People say who's the best player you've ever played against. It's a, it's a little bit strange because when you when you're a kid, you know you've heard all these big names and you've heard these things, so you're almost sort of you, you the, the reputation is actually something that you're in awe of. And then when you play against them, um, it's one of those. I remember that game when we played Wigan that first time. I was playing against Wigan and I went to see him in granddad, but he's been gone a long time now. But um, I went to I went to me and granddad's the day before the game on the Saturday. And um, and he says, oh, you got a game tomorrow? I said, yeah, we play Wigan. He went, oh yeah. He says, uh, I says they've got a lot of big names. I'm at there. I went, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, he says you're nervous. I went, yeah, a little bit. I says, but because we've got some big some big names in there. He says, don't worry about it. They've only got two arms and two legs, just like you. He says, get out there and show them what you've got. He says, because none of them know about you. So yeah. that's that, that that was his way of sort of making it, you know, a leveling playing field. And yeah, the the the. It, but it's it's right, you know. I believe that, you know, if I'm, every time I've ever come up against a, a name, if you let the reputation um, gain them credit, then I think that that actually means that they start to get over the top of you before you've even put your boots on. Another name that kind of fits in that mold that we've just been talking about, Beans, is, is Mark Geyer. And he came over to play with you for a brief stint in, in 88, 89. What tells about MG and, and what he was like? Yeah, he was a, um, just a, another one of those. But he, he was only a young kid at that stage, so he was really just starting to cut his teeth. They'd all got, um, they got a real big... Um, Real big rap on him. They've got big expectations over. And Gary was smart because what <laughs> Gary used to bring all these big names over because in that time we used to play. Um, we played opposite to them. So when yeah. we were in our season, they were in their off season. So anybody that had got any suspensions or yeah. all like that, he used to bring them over. They'd serve the suspension so long as they could play for us for the last period. I think so. He used to bring them over. He got Cliff Lyons. He got he got he got he got um Mark Geyer came over. So they were all coming over and they were serving the suspensions. But then they got to play. So we were getting some quality players, but they were actually right in the suspension. So they were ready to play for the beginning at next and and it was ARL in them days at the ARL for next start next ARL season. But Mark Geyer, yeah, just another one matured into a, an outstanding player. Um, very, very aggressive, really ruthless. But and then when he first came over, he could see that he'd got something special. But he were he were in really an early part of his career, I guess, in, at that time. Great stuff. That 1989-90 season, it wasn't a bad season, really, for you, because you basically survived. You didn't get relegated. But I also remember you didn't have a ground and you played about seven different stadiums throughout the year. Yeah. Is that right? Isn't that really a bit ridiculous now that they're so, they built Don Valley and they've knocked it down now. It's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just how crazy is that that they built it brand new for the World Student Games. We were waiting for it to be completed. But in the meantime, um, we were playing out of Owlton, but they, but they had the Bradford fire disaster. 
And then what they did is they put so the fire officers stopped any grounds having wooden stands unless they could get a license or some sort of certificate. They wouldn't let them play with a, with a wooden stand. They had to have a special sort of um, I don't know some sort of special license. We, we couldn't, so we couldn't play Owlin. They wouldn't let us play Owlin. So we were moving around and playing all these different grounds until until the the Don Valley was finished and we played. I think we played. It was Wakefield that we played on the first the first game right there. I think we played Wakefield and then we played Australia when it was a midweek game in yeah. a couple of weeks later. But the very first game was against Wakefield. I'm sure. Yeah, you smashed us because it was that was 1990 when Don Valley opened. We just played the yeah. Oxford final against Cast. Went to Sheffield on the um, Wednesday. Well, yeah, we got we got thumped by thirty odd. Well, it was one of those we 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 so, we we used to be quite fortunate because we dropped on witness when they just won the World Cup Challenge yeah. and they beat Canberra and they come to play us and we were on scrum down that night and it was like we and we beat them and it was like geez they'd won they'd won World Cup Challenge on Wednesday night and then they come to us on Sunday and we ended up get, getting on top of them and beating them but it was a brilliant day for us and I think sometimes it's um it's good for the game. You know, what I mean, it's not it's not healthy for the game to be just consumed by one club or you know dominated by two clubs. I think it's good for and the you know to a large degree that's where they get a they, they get it right. I think in in Australia to a large degree because there's teams that come and teams that go and there's never it don't never seem like there's one team that absolutely sort of dominates. You know, for, forever it just you know I mean probably the the ones that dominated for the longest were probably Brisbane Broncos. Mm. Outside that, I don't know. Everybody has a couple of years, and then they sort of drop out a bit, and then you know, there's different clubs coming and going. You know, um, Melbourne maybe they had a bit of a run, but but it were never um, it were never sort of just cut and dried. That's right. Going back to that year, that eighty nine ninety season, you play so you play at Sheffield Wednesday, you play at Sheffield United, you play at Chesterfield, Halifax, Wakefield, Doncaster, and Barnsley. You remember yeah. the first game of the season? You play St. Helens at Hillsborough. Yeah, that's my claim to fame is that one. I, I'm the I'm the first person ever to score a try on Hillsborough. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I scored the first. I scored from the first try for those in the first division. But it was it was obviously that was the first time that anybody had ever played rugby league on Hillsborough. So it was that one. And it was yeah, it was a bit of a it was a, a great occasion, really really good. But it was on the on the back of the um, Hillsborough disaster. So when we played there, one the stand that Lippins Lane end was was shut, so nobody could go in there. But we yeah. didn't need it anyway. We didn't have a full set full. We wouldn't have had a full house anyway. But but it, it when we trained the day before, that's one thing that's stuck in my mind forever. Is when we trained the day before, and it's the ground's empty and it's really quiet and it's really echoey. But all the the barriers and everything that were that were all bent and twisted were all still there, and all the it the stand was just closed off as it was. It was as it had. And sort of um, been left, and it was just it was a little bit eerie, and it was really weird, you know, to be training in that sort of environment. But yeah, um, it's um, it was a, it was a great day for us, um, um, but I guess it was um, that that was still very fresh in everybody's minds what had happened. Mm, yeah, I remember it. Remember it well. A few weeks later, um, we're talking eighty nine, ninety again. You played Wakefield at Bellevue, and we got Ray Price came making his debut. Sheffield Eagles at home. This should be an easy one. You remember you beat us, you ruined his party. Do you remember that? Well, you know what? We we had a we had a bit of an history for ruining people's parties because everybody used to think that we were going to be a bit of a, a bit of a, and it, and it, and it's it's one of those where you know you you've only got to turn up ten percent down or five percent down 
And, and once the, the opposition starts to gain momentum, then it can be a bit of a difficult downward spiral to climb out of, you know what I mean? And that yeah. we, we'd catch teams cold so so often because they'd turn up thinking that it was, you know, the, the just the fact that they turned up were going to give them the, the right to walk away with it. And they didn't realise, I don't think, that we'd got a... A, a bit of a spirit about us and a bit of a doggedness about us and we didn't, we didn't you know and Gary were good at, at recruiting you know the, I don't know what you'd call them these guys that were sort of in wilderness a little bit that had lost the way and we've got Sonny Nickel he was one that were you know he'd got loads of promise but weren't really sort of um, you know looking like he were going to make the the, the levels that, that he could do but then he come to us and, and he probably said maybe he went and he got Anthony Farrell you know, yeah. people, people that that that, that were, um, that, they were seen as being promising players, but they just, uh, they just weren't really sort of. But then when Faz come and he, he sort of hit his straps and he started to be another one that were, um, you know, making some big ripples. Yeah, you, you did us twice that year because the return match was at Orkwell Barnsley, and we, oh yeah, I remember, I remember that Ray Price there again. I thought we I, I did, pl- I did play that when I got dropped because so I've been crap week before. But that's <laughs> yeah, you just got to. Sometimes it's, it happens, doesn't it? You you know, if you're not if you're not good enough, then okay, I hold my hands up. Leave, they've left me out, so I'll work harder and I'll try and get my way back in. And that that was my my sort of philosophy. You know, if you if you uh, if you don't play well enough, then nobody's bigger than the team. You get left out, and that's how it works. Oh, yeah, on the on the back of that, Topo tried to sign Daryl Powell three times, and I'm fascinated. Yeah. I'd love to ask Daryl Powell, was it true? Because that's what he was telling us. Because because you've beaten us twice, we had a gap in one of the centres, and Daryl Powell would have gone nicely in that gap. And he I, tried I three times, that, and Gary won't let him come. I, know, I was going to say, I know that he, that Gary and Topo were they were quite close mates. I think and they were they were, they were, they were a bit of rivalry, but they were close, and I don't think that. Topper would have um, would have took him from under his nose. That is for sure, you know. But uh, and Gary weren't prepared to let him go. But there were there were quite a lot of obviously Daryl was a quality player, a class yeah. player, and he was showing up really well. So he got quite a lot of interest. I mean, Wigan came after him as well at one stage, and I think it was after that game when we played him that very first game that we played and played Wigan. He Daryl he scored all our points basically. He made a break, scored a try, and and they were so they were they were it were all over papers that they wanting to sign him and they had made inquiries but I don't know they, they didn't they didn't come up with a million quid like Gary were asking for he <laughs> used to get us for peanuts and sell us for a million <laughs> That's right, yeah. just before we leave that season I make remember you did survive but it was a real dogfight with Lee I don't even remember that the last five games I think Salford and Barrow had been relegated but then you and Lee were sort of neck and neck and you you beat Lee by about forty points. Then you were level and level all the way through. You both lost your last five games, but you mm. survived and Lee went down. I don't really remember all the pressure at that time. Yeah, I mean, it's, geez, we've been I've been in a few of those uh, we call nip and tuck situations throughout my career, and and, and that's but yeah, it's uh, it's a bit hard, isn't it? You know, when you I mean, I look at Wakefield and Wakefield, they're, they're having a bit of a tough time of it this year, and it, but. I think the pressure's more when you when you're at the bottom end of the table than when you're at the top. You know, the the top you lose a game, you can come back the next week, but you you know, your um, your livelihood's not at stake. And in, when we played in the early part, it was part time. So until Super League came along, there were only probably two or two teams and that's that they had the dominance because they were full time players and, and they'd got all the quality players. So you like your Wigan. I think the Wigan and Leeds were only full time in the early days when when the, in the times you're talking about. Um, then when Super League 
um, come around, that's when everybody sort of went full time, and that's when it all started to sort of um, to develop from there. But yeah, it were uh, so in some ways it were tougher. It's tougher now for the guys that are in Super League because that's the livelihood. That's what the that's the that's what pays the mortgage. That's how they've got to, you know, earn the money. And I think the pressure becomes greater when you've got a job as well as. I think you know that you've you've got a job. You go to work on a Monday to Friday, and you you do your job and you play your rugby, and that maybe the pressure's not quite the same. But I don't know. I mean, everybody deals with it differently, don't they? And some people look like, um, you know, the pressure don't get to them. But I think that's just a front. A lot of the time, I think everybody feels pressure. Everybody feels it. But some people just it's very transparent in how they conduct themselves and how they are in the expression. But then other people will cover it up pretty well. Couple couple of up and down seasons coming up, Beans. You you kind of you got relegated, unfortunately, again. But then you got promoted the year after. You beat all Oldham in the in the Premiership final, thirty four twenty. Then a couple of years after that, you did lose to Wakefield in, in the Yorkshire Cup as well. Tell us about the difference from kind of elation of of getting promoted again, but being so close to winning the Yorkshire Cup and Ellen Road. Yeah, so um, that that season we got re- when we got promoted again. That was so that was a bit of a. They had a restructure on the league, so that was an eight-team division, and they tried to do it because what they said is that the the thought that the, the uh, thirteen teams in in Division Two weren't that you weren't as a team you weren't you weren't prepared to go into Championship or to well it was, it was like Division One in them days, um you weren't prepared to go into that because you weren't playing at high level, um what I'd call consistency week in week out because a lot of the teams were, were nowhere near where we were so they, so they went for a, a, an eight team competition which they, they were saying we're going to create a more intense league which meant that you were playing against you know equal quality which meant that you were going to get a, a, a challenging game every single week and it, it proved to be and, and we, we were lucky enough we'd got but we it, we were at that stage where a lot of the young kids that we'd um, been a little bit yo-yo-ish with because of the fact that there were young players and the consistency was starting to come in us because we were starting to mature more as players and we were starting to be, um, you know, a little bit more consistent. So we, you know, we was lucky. We got to the, you know, we got promoted. And and were we lucky? I think we probably would say that because of the the way that the team were and the amount of times that you played the teams in your competition, we, we were probably the most comp- most consistent team in that division that year. So, yeah. Um, and then going to Yorkshire Cup final the, the year after, I think that was the Yorkshire Cup final, that were, yeah, we, but we'd, we'd actually gone into that um, with probably the first time in our um, history as, as favourites. You know, I mean, people, we'd played some good stuff. We'd got Gary Jack, we'd got Bruce Maguire, we'd got, um, a number of what you call sort of um, IN players that had been playing some really good stuff, but we went there on on the day and we didn't we didn't turn up, we didn't get it right. And Wakefield, to the credit, they played outstandingly well. But every player from you know from from fullback to to front row to bench just turned up and give and give a real good account of themselves. And that's that's exactly what it needed, you know. The and you got I think it was. Um, that was the time when when Nigel Wright really sort of came onto the floor. He was the one that really got man of match that day, I believe. And he mm-hmm. he just you know he, he challenged us all day long and took you know to it and it just played a really smart game. And the rest of the team played off the back of um, what I'd call a, a well controlled game plan. And we were we were indifferent. And the the longer the game went, the the more we 
right? Uh, and this is it happened. You see it happen all the time. And you when you get into that that situation where it's not working, you go away from what's worked for you in the past to try and um, play your way out of trouble. And I've said this as a coach. I've said it a million times since those sorts of days. Is that you know you work your way out of trouble. You don't play your way out. Of, you know you get the right to play by the way that you you know you keep just being I think being dogged and you you play behind a, a, a solid game and then see what they can do. And how how do you personally learn from your losses? Um, I think you learn more about about yourself when you've lost a game than you do when you win. I think it's um, it's easy. Everybody's going around patting themselves on the back when you've had a good win, and it's what you don't do is you don't maybe reflect on the the little things that you need to be a little bit better on. So uh, when you when you look, you know you're going to lose games. You know you're going to you're going to win games and you're going to lose games. It's not necessarily about the end result. It's about what 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 did my game look like in in between those. You know, because we, you know, whether we win, lose, or draw, it's about whether I turned up and I give a good account of myself, and that's where, for me, um, I used to try to look at myself and probably over-analyze. If I'm honest, one of my biggest weaknesses is probably that I was very, very self-critical. But on the back of that, um, it was probably one of my biggest strengths. You know, that I'd never play a game and go, yeah, yeah, that was all right. That. I play a game and say, right, what do I need to be better at next week? And I didn't get that right. I didn't get that right. So I'd spend all week then trying to focus on that. And it stopped me in some ways being able to enjoy the moment. You know, you have a good win and I will never, okay, I've done that now. Move that to the side. What am I doing next week? You know? And and, and that proved in the development of the squad at Sheffield. You look at the next couple of years pre-Super League, you finished 10th, then 6th. Eighth and then up to fifth as well, just just before Super League came in. Some fantastic um, finishes for a team that was still relatively new and, and in their infancy. Yeah, absolutely. And but Gary was really shrewd. He was shrewd. He used to pick up players. I mean, we had people coming from France. So we, we they had them coming from all over the place to to play for us. And for me, um, that that was the so we we were finding. Um, some of these hidden gems. I mean, Jeff Hardy come and played for us and ended up having a really sort of, um, you know, a really sturdy career in a number of different clubs. But he ended up going to someone who could afford to pay more money, which was Cass at that time. But what I'm saying is he started with us and he was a sensation. That first year, he was ripping teams to pieces when we first got promoted. When that, As you said, when we played that game um, against uh, against St. Helens at Island Road, he, uh, sorry, Island Road at um, Hillsborough, he, he, just, he just ripped them to pieces. But he did that pretty much all year. That was a standoff. And he went to Cass. But um, what, what I'm saying is that he got David Fraser, who was a French lad who come and he scored a bucket full of tries for us. He's got loads of tries, you know. And then you got John Mark Garcia, and we got so we were. He was constantly out there fishing around trying to find the um, these these unpolished gems, I guess, if you want to call it that. Similar to what Wakefield are doing at present day, to be fair, where you look at someone like Romain Franco and yeah, who tries into. Uh, when you've not got the the biggest sort of um, checkbook, you've, you've got no choice. You've got to start giving people opportunities. You've got to start looking around, and and I think that it's um, and and in a lot of ways, you know, you, you somebody that's trying to prove themselves has got um, has got you know the. There needs to be a purpose, and if they're coming with it, we're trying to make a name for themselves or trying to have a reason, they've got a reason to sort of keep, you know, keep um, showing up. Then that's those are the ones you want because they've still got the fire in the belly. Super League comes in, Paul. What we did you play in that first game against Paris? I did, yeah. I was captain that day, well, lucky, lucky enough. But it was, yeah, it was a, it was a, a one of them where. 
It was almost like it was written in stars. We 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 turned <laughs> up and we we should have beat them, but they and they got a, a pretty strong squad just quietly without knowing. They, they'd got a lot of Australians in the squad and the number the number of French and they blended it together quite nicely. And we turned up, and it were it was one of those things where we again we didn't we didn't really turn up with the um, players' best game. Um, but they they turned up and every you know sometimes the harder you work the luckier you get and every kick that every kick they did bounced their way and it did that but they were just hungry to win and it were um yeah the the longer the game went the more it sort of it, it was going to be their night. And going back to what you were saying about some of the gems that Gary picked up, I'm just looking at the team he had that night. Um, Salvatore had full back, um, yeah. Fiji and winger Dakia Toga. Yeah, yeah, it was a big thing with Joe. <laughs> John Garcia mentioned. Yeah, so the, yeah, there was a the, again. It was just like one of those. With, so Fiji went all right in World Cup. So Gary went and signed about four of their players, and I think <laughs> he got he got them for about thirty quid. <laughs> <laughs> what were you? How did you find full time there? What was your job before you went Super League? So I was in building trade. I was a plasterer yeah. by trade, um, and I'd gone. Um, a little bit of sort of so Gary had said, Oh, why don't you get come and do a bit in school? So I'd gone and done a little bit in school. So I'd gone down, I'd done odd days where I could, but the but primarily I was still very much in building trade. And then this opportunity came around when when Super League started. And that were it was a, a bit of a um, everybody struggled at first because what they did is I think when Super League first came on scene, they thought, right, okay, we've got players full time. They're coming at eight o'clock and they finish at four o'clock and it was five days a week and everybody were like you get you and it, it was it, it, it's not the full time environment is as much about the recovery as it is about the the time so they were bringing them in and, and, and most of them didn't get it right the first year most of the clubs found it really difficult the full time environment because they were overtraining them or they were you know the the mentally the players were getting stale because they were just they were keeping them there just because. The they thought they should do rather than it being okay. Well, if we're not doing anything productive, then there's no point in us dragging days out. But they used to fill the days with stuff that were non-productive, really. But and I, and I think that they started to evolve and it started to find the level which were right. Um, and but it, for me, it was absolutely brilliant. I was like, and I don't know. Sometimes you you can be it's, it's a bit weird in it because you can be a little bit critical of how. How it is and how it was, and we, we you start to turn into into your dad sort of thing that you're. Oh, it's not as good as what it were in our day, that sort of thing. And it's not it's not really like that. But what I'm meaning is that when I got my opportunity to go full time in rugby, I absolutely, you know, grabbed it with both hands and I used every spare minute I got to try and maximise the potential that I'd got to try and get the best out of myself. And I think that when when we went through that period where all right, we've got and then we've got young kids coming through and then young kids were coming through, they're coming straight from school, they're going straight into a um a, a training environment which were maybe in the youth teams and stuff like that. Then they were going into first team. I I don't know that they actually appreciated what they'd got until it had gone. And some of them didn't get that chance, but they probably didn't apply themselves as well as they could have done because They'd still got that that school mentality where you know it were like a, it's just another lesson that sort of thing instead of thinking geez this is an opportunity I've got here to really go and um, and make the most of myself by working on my skills working on this looking at that trying to get that better and trying to work on things when you've been in a in a work environment you understand what you what what special 
position you've got, you know, cracking ice off the tub on a building site in the middle of winter and not being able to feel your fingers till nearly dinner time because it's so cold. Then when you've got that that you know, that training environment, doing something what the best thing about it is somebody was prepared to pay you to do something you'd have done for free. How good is that? Yeah. You know? And that yeah. and that's where we, we don't really I don't think we hundred percent get the um, you know the concept of that. You know, sometimes it's okay. I'm, I'm, but but for me, it were all about. You know, I loved playing and I loved training. So, um, geez, why would you not grab every minute that you can to try and make the best of yourself? Living your best life, mate. Sounds brilliant. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It went some crap days. You know, the Mondays when you when you had a bit of a, a bit of a touch up and you've been absolutely, um, you know, walloped. You know, those are difficult days because again, it becomes very. You live and breathe it. You don't have your other job, so you don't go and when I when I used to have a bad game when I first started and I was part time, I'd be going and I'd be plastering and, and plasterboarding. So you you've, you're busy concentrating on other stuff, so your mind's not as as consumed by the game that's gone on on the Sunday. Whereas when you've played rubbish and that is your job, you get up on Monday morning and you go to recovery and you've got exactly all the same sort of emotions are still flooding around. Mm. Nice one, good stuff, mate. Nineteen ninety six, Gary moved on. He went to Leeds in nineteen ninety six, and John Keir came in. Fast forward two years. Did you all laugh when John Keir said you could win the Challenge Cup in ninety eight? Well, first of all, John. So Phil Larder came in first. Phil didn't. Yes, he did. Larder, he was the head coach, and John was the assistant coach. And then um, we got probably I would say maybe eight, six or eight weeks into the season, and it didn't. And it didn't seem to be anyway. I don't. I don't really. I didn't know really. There was some politics that went on. I don't really know what how that all sort of unfolded, but I just know that we had, that so Phil ended up leaving and then John took over um in, in initially as as far as we know when John were taking over just to sort of get us through that period and then um John ended up we ended up doing all right. John ended up getting the job and then the the rest of it was and we got we we'd gone two thirds of the way through the season and we'd been really indifferent and we'd not played very well. And then we got to a period where we we started getting a little bit of confidence and we beat it was World Club Challenge and we beat um, Perth at our place. We were the first English team to win a game in that competition. Um, and they and it were looking at half time like they were going to whitewash it because they were pretty well in front of us. And then we come back. Anyway, we beat them right on the wire and we, we sort of pipped them. So we started to gain a little bit of momentum as the season towards the end of that season. We could see that we were growing in confidence. We finished the season quite positively and then we went into off season. And that and that was the the first year that we'd had after the um the sort of introduction of Super League. So the Challenge Cup was still sat in really right in forefront of the league because we'd moved the seasons around. It was still sitting. It was sitting right at the front of the sea, whereas previously it had been at end of season because you were coming into May, but they still kept it in the same place. So we were we we sort of got. And we had a really good pre-season and then we were, we were pretty buoyant off the back of how we'd finished the season. So we were ready to go. A lot of these other teams were all sort of trying to be a little bit smart. You know, we don't want to peak too early. We want to sort of, you know, we, we don't, you don't want to play your best rugby your first month of the season. You want to sort of try, there, there, were, there were a lot of toing and throwing with other clubs where they weren't necessarily wanting to be absolutely up there when they got full in. And we just, and John come and we sat down and he just went, you know, we can win this. We can go and win this, and it was one of those where everybody's like, you know what? Yeah, we think we can, and he he was the one that 
and he initiated that thought. Maybe that was something that would have never really been something that people would have talked about seriously until he put that that, that thought in people's heads. But because of how we'd finished and how we'd trained in the pre-season and because we were going into the season and we started the season really, really well and we started strong. And I think that that's where the, the momentum started to gain from there. And I went to the I went to your celebration dinner a few weeks ago, and you were a twenty five year celebration dinner, and you still have got um, a good bond, haven't you? That team, you're all like a brotherhood. Yeah, do you know something? I think sports like that, but rugby um, is one of those where you don't see people for 10, 15 years, and when you've been with them, it's like you you saw them five five minutes ago. You know, it's like you you, you like you saw them last week. It's just there's just that sort of togetherness that stays. And it's not it's not with every team, but I think sometimes when you've got some what we call special memories and you've had some really, really what we call unique experiences, I think that's what gels you together and it, it sort of keeps that bond there. When did you start re- believing you could win it? Well, after after the quarterfinal at Cass? Um, I think we believed it before then, if I'm really yeah. honest. But we just we, you but you you just gotta deal with the you cannot you can't think too far in front, you've just gotta deal with what's in front of you. Yeah, and yeah. That, you know, it's the same in a game. If you start thinking about the bigger picture, you've got to break it down and it comes down to, you know, winning each tackle in each set. And if you're winning more if you're winning more your collisions throughout a set, then that'll end up putting you in a stronger position. So it's, it's a, if you break it right down, it goes right down to that. And I think that's how you've got to approach anything. And that's where we were at. It was just like, right, okay, what have we got? Right, we can do these, we can get these. And John were pretty shrewd in bringing, you know, he'd be giving us some pointers and sending us in the right direction as to why we think we should play. And and Mark were quite a smart, you know, ball player. He'd be able to sort of push us around, feel good kicking game. And we, we spent a lot of our time playing off the back of a, what I'd call a pretty good kicking game. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Um, tell us about the day, mate. So in that ninety-eight, well, bleeding up to it, I was maybe smile because you drew, you you got Wigan in the final, and nobody gave you a hope. And and not on that dinner, John told a tale where he went to press conferences, and nobody wanted to talk to you. All they wanted to do was talk to Andy Farrell or John Morney. Yeah, you we, and John Keir we, just we, sat at the back eating sandwiches. We, we, we were just sat eating sandwiches and buns and drinking tea. It was all right, actually. <laughs> but, um, no, nobody wanted to interview us. It would have been weird, and it was. But um, yeah, and it, 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 that were all right. It would, that's the, we'd never really been anything other than underdogs in most of the occasions that we'd had. But I think it, it would a little bit before the day. I think you talk about tell you about the day. I think it was um, just the 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 build up to it the night before. That was a big thing that just sort of really stuck in my mind. It was just so so emotional. There were people sitting. We, so we had two two meetings. We had a backs meeting and a forwards meeting. And we went and sat there. Everybody sat. All the chairs were in a circle. And you sat there and they just said to everybody, "I want you to go around the room." And tell me what, what what this means to you and why you want to give your best. And there were blokes just crying, just under thirty five year old blokes, and they're just crying. I've waited all my life for this opportunity. Australians, I've seen this on TV all my life, and I, and I just I just don't want to miss this opportunity. And you know, it was just um, you knew that from that moment on, when we when there were that much emotion in Rome, you know that there were that there were you know, potentially that something really really special was going to happen. And then you come. Go on, sorry, go. No, 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 you continue, absolutely, yeah. Um, you got to you, then you come to the day, and we got on the day, and it was one of those where um, we'd got a little bit, so there were bits of stuff coming through, you know, that, um, oh, uh, we're going to have had a, a have had a stage put up at the ground, I'm like, <laughs> what, what a stage put up at the ground, so that, and the, so that, and whether, whether they were or it weren't, that was just there to incite us into making, you know, the, 
it was what sort of think it's already won before they've even won it that sort of thing and it and that that sort of that got got us even more fired up to try and sort of you know spoil the party and so that would you know the, the big call was it was 98 our year 98 our year you know what i mean it's and that was the thing that when we go into the tunnel and you're in the tunnel and you um, everybody were pretty chilled about it. Um, not not in the dressing room tunnel, but when you get to the dressing room, but the but the build up and everything else, it was quite relaxed and and they were just like this inner focus. It was really weird. Every, everybody just sort of getting on with the stuff, doing the stuff, and preparing really well. And we knew what we needed to do. We knew we needed to start well. But you get into that tunnel, and it's just for me um, as a kid. Geez, it's it's something else. You know that we I'd watched it every year with my dad on telly. And then I'm stood at the front waiting to walk him out. That was just, um, you know, just and you start, you sort of have this moment where you just easy. You can't when you were in Old Wembley, you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see out the tunnel. All you could see was up the tunnel, and it was just the bright light at the top, which was sun shining in. But there's, I think there were about seventy five thousand people, and and you can hear them singing the last song before you walk out is "Abide by Me," and you can hear them singing it. The noise is so loud, your shirt's vibrating, and you just stood there and you have that moment. It's like, geez. How's this happened to me? You know what I mean? I'm just a kid. I'm just a just an ordinary kid, and they were in, you know, struggled in all the other areas of school life and everything else. But geez, I'm 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 here, and I've waited so long for this. And I think everybody that was stood behind me had got the same sort of mindset, you know. And and you and you look at it, and I I'm a believer that you know life gives you these opportunities off the back of what you put in. And for me, it was. Um, I just looked and I thought, you know, this this is the repayment for all those days when I used to go training when my mates were going off swanning about doing stuff and I were I were committed to training and I used to go and do extra training on a Monday night and I used to go and do extra training on a Friday night and all those little bits of extra commitment I think had, had snowballed and given me that opportunity. I get the feeling now, Paul, that even twenty five years later, it means the world to you that that you got the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's just it's just I think it, when something happens like that, it's never. Um, it never goes away. It's always quite emotional, and um, and you know you you talk about all these different things, and and, it, and it, if it don't mean a whole tear, then it's not it's not really worth fighting for, is it? And that's what I think. That's why we got it, and they didn't. You know, if you if you you could tell in the tunnel, you could see in the tunnel. You looked in the tunnel, and we were stood there, and we were so switched on and so focused, and they just seemed like they were just sort of chilled and relaxed, and they were just thinking that you know what we've got it. You know, and, uh, and it's a natural thing that that's a, there's nothing more dangerous in sport than an underdog. And we were the underdogs by an absolute country mile. We were the longest odds that there's ever been in a two horse race, as you call it. <laughs> in our, this is episode 93, Paul. In our first ever episode, we interviewed Gareth Ellis, and he said when he played in his Challenge Cup finals and obviously won two with Hull, his games, he didn't really remember the game much. Um, he, he remembers lifting the trophy, he remembers the change rooms before. Is it is it the same with you? Does it kind of go in a flash that eighty minutes? Yeah, I think you know what we play. Well, what did I play? Four hundred and fifty first grade games altogether. You know, you play you play so many games. It's a, it's the same size pitch. It's the same piece of grass. The same things that are happening inside the game. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. I think everything that that the that he said is pretty much exactly right for me. You know, you go on, you go play international, and you'll you'll not come away remembering everything about every game. You'll just remember the there's moments on the tour that you'll say, "Oh, that what about that time? What about when we went here and we did that?" And so it's it's the stuff around it that actually make it so special and make those memories what they are. You know, the the rest of it you'll make you'll make another 
30 tackles next week and you'll make another 10 carries the week after and you might make 100 metres in 10 carries, but you don't get them opportunities twice. Sometimes you do. Some people are really lucky and they go loads and loads of tests, but, you know, it's one of those where you've got to, you don't know when when's the last time going to be. So you know, who knows when it is. If you get there again the year after, then that's great. That's a brilliant opportunity, but that might be the one and only time that you ever get to have that experience. And that was the hard thing about walking out of the tunnel. You know, when you walk out of the tunnel and it's like, geez, you're just like, and it opens up, boom, and then you've got all that, you've got all the people that are just cheering. And, and it was because we were Yorkshire Lancashire, we got all the neutrals that were, so it worked. So all like, all we can remember we was Yorkshire, 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 and everybody were just chanting Yorkshire. And the longer the game went, that's where it were. But when you walked out of the tunnel, it was just like, boom, geez. And it was, and, you think I've waited all my life for this. I need to be able to appreciate it. But then on the other hand, you think I've got I've got to retrieve a kick from a kickoff in five minutes and I'll in five minutes time and I've got to be ready to play. So you're trying to keep your head on the game, but you're also trying to absorb what you what what's what's showing up in front of you, which is um, you know, it's pretty difficult because you just want to be in awe of it all, but you've also got to know you've got a job to do. And for anybody listening who's unaware, you did win that game. You won 17-8. You were Challenge Cup victors, first ever, and obviously only ever um, Challenge Cup that Sheffield have won up until the present day. What Was it only until that final whistle when you really took it all in, or were it kind of leading up 75th minute, 76th, that you were getting a little bit excited? Yeah, I think everybody was sort of, um, it, it was Wigan. So everybody expected Wigan to sort of, in space of five minutes, to pull two or three tries out of the bag just like that because they'd got all this skill on their side and they've got all these people that could just could unlock a team just on blink of an eye. So it were, it were always, it would never ever, um, I don't think, a, a done deal. It was never something that everybody thought, oh, do you know what, it's in bag, is this? And But, but it were like that you could see that the realisation on people's faces as we got closer and closer. I think I did, I think I came off with about, what if I did 76 minutes or 75 minutes or something like that, so about five minutes left to go. And you know when you sat on bench, that's when you're in the middle of the game, you don't actually get sucked up in all that um, anxiety and all that stress of it all. But when you sat there and I'd gone off and it's like, Geez, we've got to hang on to this, you know what I mean? But and they looked like they were starting rallying a little bit towards the with, with 10 minutes to go, they were starting to rally a little bit, and then five minutes it looked like they were having a go, but then it almost sort of the 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 as soon as you got in under that five minute period, you could see that the the realization was that we just got to hang in there. We've got to hang in here, and, and it just you know it came to be. And then then the highlight real moment, walking up them steps, being under the trophy. Again, is it a thing that you can still recollect to this day, or was it all just a bit of a blur? Walking up the steps, can remember that. Um, that's a, that's a, you know that was something pretty special. I've watched it every year with my dad on TV, and then I get to go and walk up the steps. You know what I mean? And you watched in the you know coming out of the tunnel or one thing, but being able to to go up there and pick up the cup as a captain was just something else, you know. And uh, yeah, just pretty surreal. But it was, a, it was a great occasion and just a real good... Um, and, you know, it, it, it weren't just about us as players, it was about the club and the people that had been integral to the club all the way through, that had given it everything they'd got. Um, you know, there were so many volunteers involved in that club and there were so many of those fans that, you know, that the, the supported us through thick and thin. And um, regardless of whether we played like dogs' asses or not, they'd, they'd turn up week after and they'd give us, a, you know, they'd give us the best support. And, and that, that were a little bit... Different to some of the other clubs, some of the art, some of the what you call the Artland clubs, they because the people that had been brought up on the game, they were sort of, oh, you know, the, they weren't as maybe they weren't as forgiving, 
because if you'd had a bad week, the, they they knew they questioned you a little bit more because of the fact that I remember once when I played at all, we we played like, like dogs' asses at first half. We're playing against Leeds, and uh, the boot is off at half time. <laughs> and it, so then, and then we come on, we come on in second half, and we beat them in second half. And we, we weren't we weren't like we were rubbish. We were probably about six or seven points down. The boot is off at half time, and then we uh, we come on in second half and beat them. And then after a game, they're all coming around, slapping everybody on back and cheering them and giving them a, a big high five and all that. Off. Cheek, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and just rounding off that special day, Paul, I've actually got the picture in front of me. Um, just total and utter, utter elation in your face. I imagine that the the peak of your professional career. Yeah, absolutely, for sure, because of the the sort of connection it had to me and my childhood and everything else, and and it being so. Um, I don't know. It was just such. So it was that, that, that in in some ways that was the cup to win. You know the the grand final might now have more prestige to it, but it didn't have in them days because that weren't the the cup to be involved in the cup to win was the challenge cup. That's what everybody sort of hung their career on the back of. You know, winning challenge cups. You know, being, it used to be premiership in them days, but it didn't have the same status as the grand final's got now. You know, so for me, it was massive. Um, but playing for my country was a, a pretty big thing, and all really. You know, that was standing to the national anthem. Um, and that was the one of those things. It was uh, my my mum gave me a right roasting because I didn't know words to it, so I had to learn words before I played second. <laughs> I was going to touch on that before we left your Sheffield career. Um, your international career, played for England in '95, fourteen international caps in all, World Cup '95, Great Britain tour in '96. Any standout memories from uh, that lot? Um. Being involved in the '92 was a massive thing for me. That was one of those sort of um, pinch me moments when we were just me and Mark Aston were supposed to be going over to get involved with South Sydney, and we were going to do some. We were going to train with them and potentially sign on and see if we could play any games because it was a bit of a trade off where Gary had always had players going that way, and he wanted us to get a little bit of experience at uh, the highest level over here, so uh, over in Australia. So we were just heading off, and as we were, we were good. We were just heading off to go to airport. Um, we got a phone call that said, right, somebody's going to meet you at the airport. They're going to give you a load of kit. Um, we're drafting you into the squad because we've got a load of injuries. And you're like, oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> and that was on the back of that 92, uh, the 90, was it 92 season when we'd had, um, so when we'd been, we'd won that, had got promoted in that um, eight team competition. So, um, but to, to get called up and be able to go and play and played in two midweek games. Um, but then again, you've got all these sort of, um, Pretty big names in front of you that are, you know, regular test players, and um, and for me it was just one of those where I got my chance. I played against Newcastle and I played against Gold Coast, and then they went to Australia and got some of the recovered, some of the injuries recovered. So they went, sorry, they went off to New Zealand, and the, and I stayed in Australia. Then Mark, because Andy Gregory didn't come through. Um, he got he went home, and then Mark stayed in the squad, so he went to New Zealand, but I stayed in Australia. But that was the. A little bit of a um, for me, it was the the sort of um, light in the fuse paper, if you know what I mean. That was my first opportunity to to experience what international rugby were all about, and I just like, well, this is this is what I want. So, and then it almost sort of accelerated my work ethic and my desire and my sort of willingness to try and go above and beyond to try and make sure that I weren't, weren't leaving any stones unturned. Did you play? Did you play with South? Did you play first grade? Did you? No, I didn't. Play, we didn't end up playing with them because what happened is by the time they released us from, so I didn't know whether they were going to take me to New Zealand or not. But by the time they, they, I went and trained with them, 
a couple of times, but um, well, about about two weeks I trained with them. But by the time they'd released us, the the deadline had gone for signing new players, so I uh, couldn't sign. But I, but I could train with them, so I went and trained with them. Yeah, you went back to uh, back down back down under in nineteen ninety six, and that seemed a bit of a haphazard tour because, like, I remember somebody pulled out injured, and they sent about eleven all before the end, didn't they? Yeah, that you know that that will probably that was a massive um, mistake for rugby league, as in mm-hmm. you know the the way that people perceived them. You know, sending players on halfway through tour weren't really well. It went halfway through. It, you could see logic in it, but it weren't. It, it, it just you know for what they'd save it just didn't make any sense in the impact and the damage it had to do to the to the game um you know people's perception of of us as a professional group and uh, so we we'd been so we went to went to Papua New Guinea we had a I think we we played a test match in Papua New Guinea we had a week in Papua New Guinea we had um a week in Fiji and we played a test match in Fiji and then we went to New Zealand and we played three test matches in New Zealand the first test match. It was it was really close, nothing in it, and then they pipped us. I think they beat us by two points. Second one was just probably just as close. It might have been six or eight points in it, and the way, I, I can't remember the scores fully. But but the last one weren't weren't, weren't real brilliant. If I'm honest, we we they, we just never really got it got going. But they they decided that the the midweek team when we when they'd played their last midweek game that they were going to fly home early and. Whether that were a financial decision or not, I don't really know because we don't get to know any of the politics. That's just the way it happened, you know. So they named the team that were going to play in the third test match and the rest of them went home. Right. I'm just looking at the scores. You were, you were right. Yeah. First test in New Zealand, you lost 17 12. Second test, you lost 18 15. And then third test, you lost 32 12. Yeah, that's right. So they were not, they were, they were, the third test was, but um, yeah, just, but the, uh, I just think that it, it was a great experience, a great tour. But it, you come back and it's a little, you're a little bit sort of down on it because we got beat three 0 by New Zealand in the test. And but the, the the either either of those first two tests could have gone either way. And if we'd have been if it if we'd have got if it had been one all going into the last one, I think he'd have probably been been a little bit more of a contest. I don't know. You you can't never say, can you? But it's uh, yeah, but. Brilliant experience, really great to be on a tour and go on and have all those sort of uh, memories. But it'd have been nice if we could have, uh, you know, turned them over. And what were your memories of the World Cup in '95? Again, it was that was in the early stages, so I was coming in. I was one of the um, players that had shown some promise that were looking like a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a prospect, but not necessarily the first choice. So I was work trying to trying to cut my way in. So I played in. I would say when the pool games I played and um, played against Fiji, scored against Fiji. In fact, I scored two tries. I scored against South Africa as well. And I think I because uh, it was laughable because I ended up being fifth in league, in league table for <laughs> for you know for World Cup scorers. And I was like fifth, and Jason Robinson were up near the top. And there's there's me, this numpty me that's just as uh, I'd only scored two, but I went I went in fifth place. So it was funny of all the people that had scored in the in the the World Cup. But yeah. Um, good. We we stayed. So it was a UK because it was in. So we went down to London. We played the first test down at Wembley. Um, that was in the first pool game down at Wembley. Um, we stayed down at St Albans and that. And it was, uh, yeah, just again, it's just another, um, just just brilliant experience. Some great memories and some just some really good blokes as well. And you, some people you you best mates with forever, and some people you just acquaintances with. But when you see them, you know, it's just like you you know you you saw them again. It's like you saw them last week, but. Everybody goes off in different directions, don't they? And life becomes 
football and yeah. whatever you're doing. And when you when you move away from game, you know everybody starts sort of um, pursuing different avenues, and you you lose touch. But then you know not forever. If you do come across each other, it's uh, it's good. Good stuff, mate. So why leave? What 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 brought you then to Sheffield and why Halifax in 1999? Um, so I wanted to finish my career at Sheffield. Um, I yeah. said to him, so I'd, I'd had this discussion with him. If this were before the Challenge Cup final, last night, and I'd said, look, I'd, I'd like to extend my contract. I've got one year left. Um, after, and I'd said, I'd like to extend my contract. I'd like to stay and retire. And I'd, I'd said, if I could have extended it by another two years, so that would give me three years, I'd have probably retired then. Um, and then... They obviously, I don't know what the mindset were or the thinking process were, but I think that they thought that there was a value to me at that stage. So they said they wouldn't. And I said, well, I, I need some security because I'm going into it. You know, you want me to play and I'm going to last year my contract. I want to try and get something secure. So they wouldn't. So, and that's why I ended up saying, okay, then I need to put myself on transfer list. And that's what happened pretty much. And um, it, it upset me a little bit because what, what happened at that time is it sort of almost become... Um, I got a little bit of a bit of blame. Is that oh, he's he's been he's been you know more ruthless. He's leaving club and all this sort of stuff. And I got used as a as a, as a sort of it was my fault. But how I was trying to do was trying to get my sort of future a little bit more secured if I could. And then so that's how it ended up. But they they thought well, I'm still under contract. So if I were going to go anywhere, then nobody were going to get me unless they were going to pay a fee or they were going to offer players and that's pretty much what happened so myself and Nick Pinkney went over to Halifax and there'd been a bit of interest from all the different places I think London had been interested and then Warrington had been interested and so I'd had a couple of um, meetings with various different clubs but then Halifax came in and they were they I think they threw up a package that was of an interested club you see none of the other clubs had nobody wanted to pay transfer fees you know that, that's just don't 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 happen these days. But so none of them were prepared to pay a fee and put me on a contract. So that's where um, Halifax had got. They offered, I think they offered three players. No, me and Pinkney went one way. Me and Nick went one way, and uh, and then I think there were three came back the other way. Mm-hmm. Martin Pearson, Maud, um Baldwin was the other. I don't know the third one. Was. I can't remember the third one, but there were there were definitely three players in the mix. And I went over to Halifax, and uh, again, it got a real good family feel about it. It felt a little bit like Sheffield, if I'm really honest. It weren't, uh, you know, but it got a, a good family feel about it. Some really good people there. Some people now that I went to watch them the week, and you still, there's, uh, there, was, there was Stan and Hilda, who used to, Stan used to do all the kit and used to do all the books and look after all the stuff. And then Hilda used to, watch, you know, she'd help him and do all the stuff that she was always around on, you know, when we used to be training and stuff and things like that. And it was just, yeah, just a real good feeling. When I went the other week, she's still, I mean, Stan's not around anymore now, but Hilda was still there and I was just here. And it was really funny because I went to watch Blake. You know, Blake, my lad now, and she bought him a, a little baby girl because he'd only just been born when, when I first went to Halifax. And she bought him this baby girl, and it was Halifax baby girl, and, that, but, and he's now 24, you know. It's just crazy <laughs> where time goes, isn't it? You know, but, but again, the game's full of brilliant people, and it doesn't matter what club you're involved in. It's just that you come across them and you've just got to, you know, I guess um, appreciate that that's what sport's about. But rugby rugby league seems to be more, more even more so because I think everybody's... From a grounded place, you know, I don't think there's anybody that's got any, any sort of airs and graces or any sort of um, ideas of grandeur about them. I think they're all just decent people. And then fifty-six games over East Yorkshire, mate, or FC. Tell us about, 
Tell us about them two seasons. Yeah, that was a uh, so yeah. I, so I originally signed for Gateshead, um, signed for Gateshead mm-hmm. Thunder. So I moved up there. Um, we packed all his house up. We rented his house out. We moved up to Gateshead. We got a place in Chester Street. We'd rented it out. Uh, we'd rent. We'd rented this place up in Chester Street. I was there for two years. I signed a two-year contract. The squad were nearly all Australians because they just re- they just launched it. And Shane Richardson was the one, the chief exec. So he'd obviously recruited a lot of players that had come from the the NRL when they'd had the the NRL and. Super League, when they got the merger together, a lot of the clubs merged together. So, like, uh, there were a surplus of players. So, he brought quite a few. Luke Fels came over, Tony Grimaldi. Um, you know, there was uh, there was there was loads of. I'm trying to think. Matty Daylight, um, Brian Carney were playing yeah. with us. He were there. He were up at Gate. So it was a, there was a, a wealth of um, what I'd call you know quality players that had got something to offer. And when I went up there. Um, I was one of the one of the few English players that was on their books, and then we so we got up there. We started pre-season training. We unpacked all the boxes, and then they got us in. And they said, "Right, okay, um, this is what's happening. We're merging with with all sharks." And everybody <laughs> like merging. How far apart? You know what I mean? And it was just like it didn't make any sense. But you could see the logic in it. They'd got a real professional setup. They've got a really strong um, commercial side. All sharks had got the the the, the fan base and they've got this the the status as in the history but they just didn't have the professional sort of um I don't know the the they weren't running the the club professionally and, and it were leaking money everywhere so that's where they merged them together and they took the professionalism from one end and the squad merged two squads together and then they, so we ended up moving down but the laughable thing was that he got us all in he sat us all in the room which is right we're gonna, we're gonna, we, we, you've got to go down. You're gonna to have to find an house to rent down in Hull. You're gonna, we're gonna pay for all everybody's um, removal costs will be paid. And okay, right, okay. So I got all that in his heads, and then I go home, and I just walked in the house, and Cindy, my missus, she went, "Oh, guess what? I've just unpacked the last box." Oh. I said, "All right." <laughs> I said, "Don't, don't sit down for too long." She says, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you need to start packing them again." I said, "Because we're off." She says, "What do you mean we're off?" So then that's when we moved. So we moved down to Hull. And again, Hull, again, it's just, but it's the, the, the thing about Hull is they're very passionate and they've got, but they, they've been Hull. It's a bit like Wakefield. The history is, is phenomenal with regards to rugby league and the sort of what they've done in the game and everything else. So the fans are, are quite fanatical about it. And that were well, when you got down there. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, an, another, um, for me, it was quite a, quite a, an interesting culture. You know the fact that the you know everywhere you went, everybody knew you. You could go you could go in Sheffield and, and nobody really knew you because if you didn't play for Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United, you know you 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 might as well have been just a Martian. You know what I mean? All like that. So it was it was very different when you went to all. Um, but yeah, good, really good. Some good times. We 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 got. You know, we got to the playoffs. I think the second year, I think we got into playoffs. But the the first year, um, it was a, um, I think we we were sort of just just under playoffs, and then the second year, I think we made playoffs. But it were, we'd got so there was some again. Um, Shane Richardson was pretty smart. He got recruited some. Some we got Jason Smith came over for second year. He got Lee Jackson. He brought Lee Jackson in. So we, you know, we got some. What I'd call some um, some X Factor players in the mix. And then the real reason why we're here, Paul, we finally got to it, but these 24 games at Wakefield Trinity. Um, tell us what brought you the move over to Bellevue and over to the to West Yorkshire, back back into Homeland. So, yeah, so I, um, I'd, I'd been playing at Hull um, and I 
I would have been happy to sort of to play another year at Hull. They they decided that they didn't want to offer me a contract, and um, and then I I just got offered opportunity to come to Wakefield, and I and I, and I, I met up with the guys, and I, I didn't want to finish playing in Sopley because I thought I'd still got a bit to offer, and um, and they'd got quite a, a number of young players, um, you know, you know, Gaz Ellis, um, Ben Westwood. You know, they've got some got some pretty some pretty good quality young players uh, um, and you you looked across the board and you know there was, uh, there was Gary Law there was quite a, quite a few of the guys that had been you know that, that, that were promising kids and I thought you know what I, I think it could be a good environment this I'd like to get involved in it and that's when I went to Wakefield and I was there and played that one year um, and then pretty much finished my career as a as a Player went to York and played a little bit at York as a, and then I bust my knee halfway through the season, so I weren't a player coach anymore. I just became the coach, and then um, came away from game for about a year, and then I got opportunity when Steve Phillips was involved to be, um, you know, to get back involved in coaching at Wakefield, which, yeah, that was a, a good time, a good good experience. Um, did a lot of a lot of learning, which is, I don't think we ever stopped learning, do we? No, no, that's right. Do you remember your Trinity debut? You know, who, who it was against? Uh, it was again. So it depends what you're calling the debut. So the first, the, the very first one would have been. So we played Sheffield in the cup. That's right. That's the one we I'm played, getting. We played Hull in the in the first preseason friendly. So I left Hull, <laughs> and then yeah. the first game that I played for, for was against Hull in the preseason friendly. Then we played Sheffield in the cup. I think that's it, it. were. And then um, I can't remember if Bradford were the first game or that was the two thousands game. So the, 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 it was something like the two thousands Super League game, and I'd been the I'd been the captain in the first Super League game, and then I was the captain at Wakefield that day when we played when the, when they played the two thousands game. Wow. So that was a pretty special as well. That was another another one of those um, special memory moments, I guess. It was, yeah, because like of all the research I've done, I never, I never even thought of that because that was the uh, that they was brought the... a cake out, and I'm like, geez, I can't, what are we going to do with that? They brought cake out, but it were, it were playing, so I couldn't, I couldn't have any. <laughs> so <laughs> they walked out with this big fancy cake to say that we played one two thousand still playing game. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, because like that was that was the question. Your actual first, t- you, you play the friendlies against Hull, but your first official first grade game was Sheffield. Yeah, that made me smile. Went back to Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I think we we got we got top side of them that day pretty comfortably. I think it was we were they were just reforming as a as a championship team, and we were um, you know obviously um, Super League at that time. It's it's yeah, a bit so when you look and I think the the amount of time and the years that that Wakefield have been, you know, they've been battling along and fighting the odds constantly um, and coming through, you know, for the last pattern. And okay, whether they do or they don't come through this year, I don't think it'll be from a lack of effort and endeavour. I think that the guys will give the best they've got, and and it'll be it'll if it, if it does end up getting to be, um, you know, the, gets the best side of them, and they do end up going down, that don't mean to say that it's a it's a done deal. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward. If yeah. that makes sense, you know, they, they they can go back, they can regroup, and they can come back stronger. If that's how it's got to be. You know, when you when you when you firefighting all your life or all you all your time, it's it's hard to to sort of to grow, I guess, because yeah. what you're having to do is fetch is fetching 
to try and get you through a, through a, a certain period rather than being able to develop and grow and nurture players and get them to the best place that they can be. Yeah, so we've certainly improved in the last two weeks since David Fabita's London. You know, if we've got 11 yeah. games left, I think. He's done us, not done us any good Castleford winning, that's Friday. But with no. 11 games left, you know, we've suddenly picked up. We, we give okay a bit of a fright on Friday and obviously beat Leeds the week before. So we, yeah. we've turned the corner, I think. Yeah, well, that at the end, of the day, what you're not going to do is go and blow everybody out. You don't, you don't transform itself. But what it does is, confidence is an amazing thing. It's like, like you can watch the same team play with no confidence, and they look like they've never seen each other before. And then when teams are playing and they've got confidence, and the it's, it's oozing out of them, they'll, they'll be the, everything seems to stick and everything seems to go. And, and my my sort of philosophy is that you know you build. You build, you get your confidence from how you defend, and if you defend well, that earns you the right to play well. And what you'll do is you'll play with a on the front foot, and you'll play with an air of confidence. Because every time you sit someone on the backside in defence, that's taking a little bit of their confidence away, and it's putting a little bit more in your corner. And that's when you start then running through people, and you start having the 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 confidence to you know to go and challenge them. Good stuff. Is this where your coaching career started? Because you were offered uh, a role on the coaching staff as soon as you arrived. Yeah, well, I so it's a bit of a complex. So I was involved at York a little bit. So I, I was a, I was a player coach at York. Then then I came away from the game and I was helping out, doing a little bit with Mick Cook up at York and and helping him out when up there. But not nothing really hard and fast. It was just a bit of a um, open ended thing, um, just to keep in there. And then um, so I think Tony Smith were coaching at the time and they'd got we'd got so when John Keir got involved, when Tony Smith had left the club, they'd got no coach. Steve Ferris was the chief exec at the time and he rung me because Steve had been the chief exec when he was when I was at York and he rung me, did Steve? He says, bit of a random question. He says, I, I'm I'm without an head coach. He says, would you be able to maybe help out and um and come and look after a few sessions for us for the next couple of weeks while I can get an head coach in place? And I said, look, I'm, I were in building trade at the time. I'd got loads of work booked in. And I said, right, um, let me see what I can do. I'll see if I can shuffle work around. I'll see if I can make a bit of space. Anyway, so I started looking around. I tried trying, and I did create a bit of space. And then and then Steve rung me. About a day later or two days later, before we should have started the following Monday, he says, I'd like you to start from that Monday and do me two weeks, and then it gives me a bit of breathing space. I said, yeah, okay, no problem. So I'd got the space sorted out, and then he rung me on the Sunday, and he went, I've sorted an head coach out. <laughs> and then he saw, and I said, all right, okay, so you don't need me now. And he says, no, it's all right, but I appreciate it. And I said, well, and then and then that was it. Says, Thanks anyway. And so then, then he rung me back about an hour later, he went, do you fancy getting involved for a little bit longer? I says, what do you mean? He says, well, we've got until end of season. We've got six games and we have to win four to stay up. He says, John Key has got the head coach's job. He says, would you be interested in meeting him and seeing whether you think you could go through until end of season as assistant coach? And I said, well, and it had been a little bit of a frictious one because when I'd come away from Sheffield, um, you know, there were, it, it were, it were, it did, it, I don't it weren't we nobody ever fell out, but it felt a little bit sort of, you know, like I'd almost been let go when I wanted to stay, but I'd then been put in a corner where I didn't have a choice. So it were one of those where we'd never really sat down and been able to unpick it, if you know what I mean. So then that was the first time really that me and John had had really sort of spent any time in each other's company since the day that I'd left. So it was a bit a bit one of those where it was a little bit difficult at first. But then I said, look, I said Water's gone. It's under bridge, 
and, and I'm, there's no grudges as far as I'm concerned. I'm happy to move forward and let's go and give it a go if you want. And, and he were he were more than happy to sort of get me um, involved, and I were more than happy to sort of be involved. So that's how it all unfolded, and we we got involved. And six weeks, we got to win the four games, and um, we went we went to cast on I think it was a Friday night, and we just and we beat them eighteen nil. And it were like that yeah. But that was just like you know what that were uh, that was just what we needed because we we would really sort of start to get his mojo back then, and we started believing in each other. And you know we went and I think we went and beat and beat Bradford as well. I think we beat Bradford, went over there and beat Bradford. Or we took them really close because that was another one that we needed. We, I'm sure we beat them. But anyway, it come down to Castle on the last game of the season, and that were the club they deemed it as this million pound game because whoever lost went down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we you know we got some quality players in that mix, and just not been probably maybe in the potential that they could have done, and just a little bit of confidence, and all of a sudden the uh, you know the, the start to show what they could do. A stressful time for us Trinity fans, but did you enjoy it? <laughs> the coaching stuff. Yeah, well, you always enjoy it when you come out on right end, don't you? But, yeah, it was yeah. good. It was good, but um, then so when we'd finished. That we'd we'd finish that, and I'd like okay, I'll go back to my work now, and I'll start getting on with my work, and I'll start getting on with my work, and then Steve will be back again. And went, what do you think? Would you be interested? <laughs> so then, so they give John the permanent sort of head coach's job, and he says, "Would you be interested in getting involved as assistant coach permanently?" Mm-hmm. So that's where it sort of unfolded from, and I went, "You know what? Yeah, I would, because you know you you can you can't play forever, you can't coach forever, I guess, but." You know, when you've got a piece, it never goes away and there's something it's in here. And so coaching is as close as you'll ever get to playing, but it never goes away. So when you're around the game, when you're not in it and you're away from it, you probably don't miss it as much. But as soon as it's almost like it just it, it re, reinvigorates all that sort of enthusiasm for the game when you're around it. So that's when, um, as soon as I've got that little bit of a, of an involvement, it was like, yeah, I really want to get, be back in game again. So then I was there for, I think, six years, I think it was. Yeah. So what have you been doing now, man? That was a few years ago now. What sort of caused you to leave? And yeah. uh, you're going to um, away from the game so, now. Yeah, so John was leaving as the head coach. Um, I'd been working with him as assistant. I was keen to try and move forward as a coach. Um, not uh, what the, the So it was one of those, we, this is so, historically, we weren't, we were offering franchises. We weren't supposed to get a franchise. It was going to be um, Crusaders. We're going to get the franchise by all accounts. Mm-hmm. And and the eleventh hour on the night before they announced it, um, Crusaders directors wouldn't sign these. Um, I don't know what it financial documents that were going to say that they would they would financially roll it. So they said they wouldn't do it. So they ended up pulling out right at the eleventh hour, which meant that we we got offered their place in Super League. So the fact is, then we were going to we were going to maintain our place in Super League. They went then and recruited a Super League, what they classed as a Super League coach, rather than because John were leaving anyway. The they were they were they, so they didn't they didn't have the confidence to promote me and give me an opportunity as an head coach. So Richard Egar came in, who'd been a Hull. Um, he brought his own assistant coach in, um, and then. So there was still a place for me, but I felt like I was actually going backwards instead of going forwards. So, you know, I said, oh, I, said um, I appreciate the fact that there is a job there if I want it, but I don't really want to go down that road. So I, I stepped away and it was it was a little bit um, 
Yeah, it was a bit upsetting. It was one of those things because it felt like I was sort of, you know, almost stepping into nothing. But sometimes you don't find out what's out there until you actually, you know, you, you are out there. If you know what I mean, you you know you don't often always get off of the right places or get into into the right positions until you you know this right. I believe you know what. Okay, um, I'm I'm going to leave, and I left, and I didn't have anything particularly. I know I'd got a building trade if I wanted to go back into that, but um, I wanted to stay in coaching really. So I thought it was a um, and then it was a bit of a stepping stone. So you know, this is what I mean about life feeling like it's sometimes it's things happen for a reason and. Uh, it's a, a little bit ri- ri- ridiculous because when I when I was coaching at Wakefield, we'd been we'd been in the coaching office. So it was an open plan of school, about four of us in the coaching office. There was me, the Prime Sanctuary, the John Keir, there was um um Bitch Tunnelly. We're all in the same office, but we were all open plans so everybody. Anyway, we'd done training one day. We'd finished training. We was in the office and we're doing some video work and clipping some stuff up. And um, Mark Windus came downstairs from upstairs. And he was in the, the classroom and he's come down and he went, "I've got some kids that are here and they're on a um, they, they come out, they've come to have like a bit of an experience day at the club and they're upstairs in classroom. Would would one of coaches be able to come and um, come and talk to them and all that? And and no, everybody was busy and nobody was. And I would, I'd got stuff to do, but I, I just went. I tell you what, Mark, give me five minutes and I'll come up and see you. So. I went up, and uh, and these kids had come from a school, and the mentor that were with them had come with them, and he he used to be a boxer, and he and these kids were um, a little bit sort of um, on the edge of things, were a little bit unruly, and the, so he was trying to get them straightened up, and he was trying to get them into a good place, so they're making better choices. And anyway, I had talked to him about my career and talked to him about all the different bits of stuff and what happens at the club and everything else. Anyway, it it just sort of uh, he said thanks very much. It all. We walked off. This was like probably three months before end of the season. And then when I come when I come away from the coaching position, um, this guy who'd been mentor got in touch with Dermot Gascoigne. and he got in touch and he was a Wakefield supporter. He used to come with his dad and he, he got in touch with Mark and he said to Mark, tell him to give me a ring because he was a mentor and he'd worked. So then he said to me, he said, I was really impressed with how you spoke to kids. He said, I think you'd, you ought to have a look at this. He said, and whether it's a stepping stone or whether it's just something that you do, he says, it's up to you. But he says, I think it'd be really, it'd really fit for you. So I had a look at it and went to meet him and, Anyway, that's a long story. Is I ended up going into the mentoring, so I went. Now we're then going into schools working for Youth Sport Trust, and then I also got working for Dame Kelly Young. She's got an organisation that I work for. So, um, and I never looked back really. And it was one of those things that that's as close to coaching as as you get. You know, when I'm working with kids, and you just get that you get that feel that you're helping them take that first step and go. You know, make the the better choices and recognizing. You know what what is success about? You know, what I mean, it's not necessarily about being. Um, the cleverest or the smartest, it's about the quality of the person. And most of the people that are quality people are the ones that end up getting doors open and get opportunities. So that me trying to sow those seeds and get those people, those young people to recognise that and give them a bit of a leg up into, you know, making the the right sort of calls to get where they want to go. It felt it felt pretty rewarding. So uh, I, I, I stopped looking for work. I stopped looking for coaching jobs. I didn't really you know, go looking for a coaching job for probably six years. Because I was enjoying what I was doing, and it was really weird. Because you got your, I got, you got your life back. 
all of a sudden you can go away on a weekend and you can, if I don't want to work on a Friday because we're going away, then I book my own work. So I don't book any working on a Friday where, you know, you, you, when you're coaching, it's like everything's cast in stone, you know, and generally the biggest crowds come when everybody else is off, is socially off work and you're, so you are working when they're not. So that's what, you know, so rugby were very consuming and it gobbled your life up. All of a sudden I'm like, wow, I can go on holiday whenever I want. You know, it was just weird. So it, it, it made me sort of go, mm, you know what, uh, this is all right, quite enjoy it. So that's when I sort of, my detachment came from game a little bit. And then I've been doing that and I still do that now and I still do it. Um, I've been doing it now since I left Wakefield, which is what, 11 years ago? Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I can see now you're wearing your, your T-shirt with the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I don't uh, always wear it. It makes me look like <laughs> a big canary. <laughs> um. Any success story? Because it sounds like a fascinating job where you're constantly involved in in helping people and mentoring folk. Success stories. You know what? I think every little bit's a success. It's all a win. And if you get one of them to sort of change the direction that they're going in, but one of the, probably the the most bravest thing I've ever seen. Um, so I, I was mentoring these for students and they had to put a project on and to do so that they put a project on for for mental well-being for, for students and they, they did all these different sort of things that help them stay relaxed and relaxed when they do when they're revising for exams so they did all they did um body sort of badminton and then they did relaxation and they did all sorts of different stuff but these four students on a brilliant project and then we went down London and they have a, um, an awards presentation which is ironically the the new the one this year's one is next week so I'm going down next week but they, they've got a stage in there um, Kelly comes down it's like there's probably 400 people in the room the, one of the kids and one of the students that was on the programme he'd always struggled with a stammer and he couldn't and he really really struggled when he got nervous he really struggled and the teacher said to me she says he's just he's so brilliant and he's such a really nice kid she says he just He's got this potential in him, but because of this, it's held him back. He's never had the confidence to be able to go and do it. And it was so we went down there, and he and he, they all got up on the stage, and he spoke in front of four hundred people, and and he's and he was standing, and it was just like I looked around the room, and there were people just crying everywhere. It was just unreal. You know that that was probably the the bravest thing I've ever seen anybody do. Yeah, I can, I can see again that, that touches you now. Is that quite quite mm-hmm. emotional for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just just good kids, and they don't always, you know, they they they're making poor choices sometimes because they don't know any different. And I think sometimes it's just about. I mean, I'm I'm not one for supporting them if they're not making the right calls. But what I am about is, you know, trying to trying to look at the bigger picture and see, you know, what what's the the what's the cause of this sort of stuff. And he'd got no confidence and he'd got no self belief because he'd been ridiculed pretty much all his life because of this stammer. Paul, looking back on your life and your career, mate, 465 first grade games. Uh, 326 for Sheffield. I assume you must be up there with the record of appearance. You and maybe Mark Aston. I, I imagine you, we've not yeah. looked at that properly. I imagine you must be up there. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just. Um, I think Mark. Mark got. I mean, Mark might be three forty-six or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, um, but, we'll, take, we'll take thirty yeah. off him. But well, uh, at the end of the day, what, what we need to be doing is look how many tackles he did. We shouldn't be counting on how many games. You should be counting how many times you carry ball and how many times you tackle. <laughs> but you know, cha- uh, two promotions, 
World Cups you've played in, tours with England and Great Britain, but most importantly, obviously, that Challenge Cup victory. You've played countless mm. games, countless times, and, and now you're making an impact outside of the game. You've coached in the game. You, you've done absolutely everything you possibly could have dreamed of. And if you could have gone back and spoken to that young lad who used to watch Challenge Cups with his dad and training all them nights when he might not have wanted to, what, what advice would you give him um, from from you, from yourself now? Um, Jeez, uh, I think... It would be um, keep believing. You know, it's only over when you decide it's over, and if you give it up, then it's that's the end of the road. But you've just got to keep going for it because life's got a funny way, and it doesn't always mean that the people that are that are earmarked has been the ones that are going to get the successes. And what is success? You know, if I think success is a, is about something that makes you feel like you've achieved, and it doesn't have you don't have to be standing on the balcony at Wembley to feel like you've been successful and you've achieved something in life. I think it's about you know making making yourself and your family feel proud of what you've been become. And that's what I said right at the outset about my kids. I just you know I'm pretty proud of where they are at the moment. I'm pretty proud of what they're trying to do. The you know my daughter's in the second year as a training up to be a paramedic, which I think is a pretty a pretty special thing to try and go out and do. And she was a bit like me. She she's never had anything come come easy to her um as a as an academic. She's never but she's worked and worked and worked and she's getting there. Um, and my son, he's he's doing all right, his rugby's going all right. He just come out and he's just got nobody in my my family's ever been to to university and I went last year and watched him get his um, get presented with his certificate. I mean, that's just unreal. Superb. So, Paul, you're an absolute legend of a bloke and even bigger legend of, of the game. Thank you very much for coming on our podcast and speaking about your life and career. No worries, guys. It'll be uh, it'll be all right. It should should be some nice bedtime listening for them. They'll all be asleep in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to episode 93 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can follow us on podcasting platforms worldwide and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for further information and real-time updates. Massive thank you once again to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to Paul Broadbent. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Kamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.